reviews are in, and we're going to tell you what they are. He's Todd Vandenberg. I'm Rob Steele, and we're going to be doing some time traveling in this particular episode, in that uh, the movies we're reviewing are not new. Because there aren't any new movies. I, I blame Corona, which apparently we've both caught this week, because you'll hear sniffling. I'm just going to tell you right now, I can't edit all of the sniffling out. No. Um, much in the same way they couldn't completely edit out Henry Cavill's mustache. And I do not understand that why this came back up again this week. Uh, <clears throat> two different sources came out with things that said, the, here's the worst example of computer-generated editing in the history of movies. And they both picked Henry Cavill's mustache from Justice League that was edited out as the worst example of CG in history. And I would like to introduce both of you to the Scorpion King. What the hell? Henry Cavill's mustache wasn't that hideous. If you didn't know it was edited out, you're probably not going to notice. You might that is, his lip that is such an overreaction. Oh, my God. Um, had they not seen any of the Harry Potter movies? I mean, it's, it's not hideous CGI, but it's not good CGI. I mean, all we had to do is Lord of the Rings, same time frame. And there is, I don't know, five or six worlds of difference between the CGI and those two movies. And it works for Harry Potter, I suppose, because actually I don't think it does, but I guess it, they're more kids movies. And because it doesn't look all that realistic, it kind of works in a way, although I don't think it does at all. I think it's just crap CGI. <clears throat> but really, you're going to focus on that? <laughs> Every other Hollywood movie that has CGI could be on that list, basically. Uh, yeah. and, and glaring, garish versions. So, no, that's just completely stupid. But there's such an obsession over that I just... One of the headlines on Cinema Blend, which is an excellent, excellent site, is a fan version, <laughs> key fan version of... of <clears throat> the new Superman in, a, in the black suit and a mullet. And it's like, who cares? It, it's a fan version. It's not like, oh, this is what it'll be wearing in the next Superman movie. That's not news. That's just, oh, my God. It's idle speculation. Yeah, and it's so just. idle any way you want to. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying it's not interesting, but that's a headline? What the hell is wrong with you? I don't know. <laughs> You want a headline? How's this? Bill and Ted 3 is coming to on demand on September 1st. And, and I love this bit of it, and any theater that happens to be open. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is a good release plan. I mean, there are drive-in theaters that are open. And from what I understand, they're doing okay business. Again, and they should because talk about social distancing. Well, the... You, the uh, <clears throat> If you saw on Facebook this week, I did. This is the movie I posted the teaser about because at the end of the new trailer, which still makes Bill and Ted look, ooh, look, it looks like a Bill and Ted movie. Duh. <laughs> uh, it's rated PG 13 for, and I'm putting this in bunny rabbits, some language. <clears throat> uh, this the language of the North American stoned surfer. Um, yeah. Really, some language got it up to PG-13. How did... I'm sure there's some bad language. I really wish I could recall the film, but I watched the film, and of course, it's streaming. 
and it's an older film that was rated PG, and I've never seen this before. It was rated PG for fear. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, okay. Fear. We need to find fear. what that is and go. Fear, yes. I'll have to go back and look at my history, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll find it by next week's show, but it's like I have never seen that before. Uh- <laughs> well, I guess similarly uh, yeah. for fear, uh, if you see what Netflix did, uh, they, they're apparently scared of the country Turkey because the the Turkish government made a demand on Netflix uh, to remove a TV series. Uh, which oh, yes. They, they pulled entirely. Uh, and it's because there was a gay character in the show. Yep. Well, oh, my God. A gay pair character in showbiz? No, can't be. So? What? Yeah. And don't watch it in Turkey. I'm not sure I would have watched it here, but, and I, I don't even have a name of the show because I never found it. It was just Netflix pulls series because Turkey said, oh no. <laughs> Whatever. Was that, was that somehow tied into the, the demands that the president endorse a uh, Keanu Reeves film? Was that something different? I did not hear that part because I try to avoid him at all costs. <laughs> That's sad. That's so sad I, I, that you're not watching John Wick right now instead of doing uh, this show. Well, actually, that goes back to the Bill and Ted thing. Actually, you want to go back to, to let's go back to 1977 for a minute. Okay. This is funny. Uh, Mark Hamill confirmed a rumor about the original Star Wars. <clears throat> which I thought this was very uh, stupid of him in hindsight, and he kind of agrees, I think. Uh, you remember the scene in the original Star Wars where they get stuck in the trash compactor? And yes. they need to f- find out... Uh, uh, C-3PO says, Ooh, which trash compactor are you in? And he rattles off a number, and, oh, okay, now I can open the door. You know, through the computer. Apparently, right. the number he rattled off was three two six three eight two seven, which at the time was his actual phone number. He said he wanted it immortalized, and he's, there it is. So he's hustling for dates. I guess, <laughs> ladies, you too can date a Padawan, although they didn't call him Padawans then. But. No. Um, <laughs> I saw that. It was like that's 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 genius level. (laughs) Anyway, actually, you know, that's about the same time that uh, the X Men comic books splintered, in that they started getting spinoffs and everything, Mm -hmm. including the New Mutants, which now has a a new trailer. Oh, good. Uh, It actually, actually, it does look good. It looks reminiscent of the. of the books, this one particular storyline, and they have a reason as to why they're in the asylum in this movie, and it's apparently because all of the New Mutants killed someone at some point. Not to keep, not collectively, they didn't go, hey, Sam, come here, you and me which, are going to kill Steve. Which would make sense, which is kind of an established background for a lot of the X-Men characters for decades, is because they yeah. can't control their powers, which is why they go to Professor X usually to learn how not to kill people by accident. (laughs) Whoops. 
Um, <clears throat> actually, we do have some other Marvel news, which I think is really good. And I'm looking forward to this. Um, a lot of people have been speculating that Doctor Doom is going to be the next big bad over the next several movies. Indeed. But there might be another one. Because multiple sources are now reporting that somewhere in the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness movie, there's going to be, at the very least, a cameo by Galactus. Which is lovely. I'm happy about this, because Galactus is one of my favorite characters anyway. Uh, he's supposed to be in the Eternals movie, too, which I think is clever. Which uh, totally fits in. It does. And I'm looking forward to this because now people are going to understand that he is not a big pink cloud. Yes, that would be nice. I have heard casting rumors. I haven't heard any casting rumors on Galactus, but I have heard casting rumors on Dr. Doom. I mean, we all have. One I'm really interested in, though, is Giancarlo Esposito. He would be, obviously, they're going to change uh, Change him up a little bit if it, if he's played by Giancarlo Esposito, but that would be awesome. I would really love to see that. He's an excellent actor. Galactus, uh, the only casting rumor I heard, and I think this is probably completely fake, but I wouldn't mind seeing Liam Neeson as Galactus. That would be very cool. I think that would work beautifully. Yeah, you need someone with a commanding presence. I think that would be very good. Yeah. There we go. Here's 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 one more casting rumor that I pray to God is a rumor. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Kang, also yes. rumored to be the new big bad. Uh, are you ready for Owen Wilson as Kang? I I really hope that's 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 not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, apparently, this is is the first reference to this is way back in February, which thank God I missed that. Uh, for up until this week, but Jesus, please, hell to the no. And and who knows, maybe he has hidden talents like an ability to act. That would be fun. Um, he just plays the same effing character so often. And even when he doesn't, he's too much of Owen Wilson. He's like, no, I can't use him. I can't use Luke Wilson as Kang either. Thank you. Yeah, let, let's not do that. Which I'm sure is what has going on. What is being said quite frequently at the Peacock Network. <laughs> did, did you see the numbers for the the new NBC streaming app? I did not. They started. Uh, well, it, it started up what last week, two weeks ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and they've gotten a whopping one and a half million downloads. And that's it. Wow. For a streaming service this large. Uh, and th this is, I mean, it's not good. Well, but two notes on that. Well, well, actually, let me, let me get my headline for this first. Okay. Because this, this is headline of the week, as far as <laughs> I'm concerned. Uh, first Peacock download figures a bit flaccid. <laughs> flaccid. A bit. Really? Wow. That's... Love. Someone hates them. Oh, a, couple, yeah. a, a couple notes on that is, one, you don't need to down, download the app to watch it. You can just go to their website. Ah. Two, uh, Comcast owns it. So everyone who has Comcast 
has access to Peacock to the to Peacock streaming service. So there are a lot more people watching it than are downloading because you don't need the app. It's stupid. Um, also, like we said last week, though, not available on any Fire streaming devices, not available on Apple streaming devices, not available on Roku streaming devices. So they blocked themselves out from over 60% of the market just by doing that. Uh, I had mentioned that I was watching something on Peacock just to kind of see how it is, blah, blah, blah. And they interrupted the film, I think, what, five times for like 45-second ads. It wasn't bad at all. Watched another film, which isn't worth mentioning. Uh, it was okay. But they did a one ad at the very beginning of the film, 130 seconds long ads and that was it it was done they showed the ad then watched the movie which is excellent so apparently they're going to do some of that yeah so it's like okay well i'm going to go grab a beer i'm going to go grab a coke i'm going to get popcorn whatever you know it's like you start it you don't have to watch it you know if, luckily they don't have any recognition software built in it's like oh they moved away we're going to stop we're going to wait till they get back and then you watch the movie so what's there, <clears throat> because a lot of things aren't there anymore already, but, you know, it's a pretty decent service so far. But yeah, I doubt it's going to ever be really popular until, I mean, it has no chance to be popular until they figure out how to split the money up with Amazon and, and Roku. It ain't going to happen. Yeah. Oh, well. Meanwhile, <clears throat> let's do a bit of time traveling, because we've got a... Uh... We got four movies to review this week, and uh, let's go. I thought we'd go chronologically from when they were released, which means uh, you win. I win. Woo! Uh, this came out back before the days of Rob. I believe I'm accurate on that. 1963. I'm pretty sure I'm accurate oh, oh, on that. that. That's yeah. <laughs> so this is a very good film. It's a very underrated film. This is one of my favorite targets for a remake. Because not many people have seen it. A lot of people haven't even heard of it. Uh, matter of fact, not many people saw it when it came out. We'll get to that. This is called Seven Faces of Dr. Lowe. One of the things that might throw people off is that it's Dr. Lowe as an L-A-O. People in the film don't know how to pronounce it. So you're excused if you say Dr. Lowe. So Seven Faces of Dr. Lowe. It is about a Chinese gentleman who comes to a little town in the West. And this is set in eh, maybe 19, the 19 teens, prior to 1920, I would say. Because it's definitely a little Western town, but they have cars, uh, really screwed up little old cars. But so eh, maybe 19, let's say 1918. So he goes in there and he is offering, he just meets people and he has these little random encounters and he has a circus. He's bringing a circus to the town for their enjoyment and their enrichment. Uh, he doesn't appear to have a circus because he just came into town by himself. And there are a few encounters with the townspeople, Barbara Eden being one of the townspeople. The lovely Barbara Eden a year before she became Jeannie on I Dream of Jeannie, although she has brown hair, which is interesting. Just different look for her. And Arthur O'Connell, a well-known character actor. You probably don't recognize the name, but if you see his face, yes, you've seen that guy in like 150 movies. So it has a good cast of, of a lot of character actors. You've seen these people over and over and over. There is some conflict between Arthur O'Connell, who is the 
town villain because he's rich. Uh, he plays Clint Stark. So he basically wants to buy up the town because nothing's going on in this town. They're out in the middle of nowhere, and he's he's going to offer to buy everyone's town and you know do them all a wonderful favor. And you know, a few people realize it's like, yeah, this is bull. Something's going on. Namely, that would be uh, the local newspaper man who just moved into town a while ago. He knows something is up. He doesn't know what. He's trying to figure it out. So meanwhile, Dr. Lowe, who refers to himself as Dr. Lowe, everyone else, almost everyone else in the movie calls him Dr. Lau. <clears throat> interesting. He has a little series of misadventures, uh, which are fun, which are interesting. I'll, one of the big criticisms of the film now is uh, the use of yellow face because Tony Randall plays Dr. Lowe. So it is not a Chinese person, Chinese American, not Asian whatsoever. It's Tony Randall. And he does put on a very thick pigeon accent. Oh, you like this? You like this? He does that kind of stuff at times. At other times in the film, he speaks like you would expect Tony Randall to speak as the most educated Eurydite person on the set because that's freaking Tony Randall. And to me, that's the point. He plays that other role because that's what those people expected. He has a normal conversation with normal people. Uh, one of the things, one of the key moments in this film, which is only in the film, only in the film to show that prejudice is, sucks. And this is 1963, remember, is two ruffians, I would say, who work for the bad guy. They are roughing up a Native American who is played by a Native American, I'll point out. Just for no reason, just to, be, just to be assholes, and they call him a dirty engine and actually call him a redskin. Thank you, Washington football team. Another use of redskin, which is not a, not a term of endearment. So, yeah, it's about effing time. We'll maybe talk about that on another network. Anyway, so they're roughing this guy up. Dr. Lowe walks up, and he freezes them. Like, because he's, had, he's magical. He's some kind of bizarre wizard. He claims he's 9,000 years old. So he, wow. stops, he stops them. He checks to make sure that his new friend is okay. And then he just touches each of the men, and they fall over because they've been frozen. And they walk off, and they wake up, and they don't know what happened. They go, where did he go? Where did he go? There is absolutely no reason to put that scene in this film. It has no impact whatsoever other than to show racism sucks. Racism is terrible people who are racist are going to be dealt with. Why is that in the film? Only possible reason is for that. You know, it's a nice little comedic effect, but didn't have to be a Native American. Yet that's what it was. So all this stuff about, oh, this is a terrible example is like, shut up. It's like, he, he's not playing a character. This is Breakfast at Tiffany's came out about the same time. And that is one of the most heinous examples of Horrible bullshit. They have Mickey Rooney playing a Japanese gentleman, who, which is like the most over-caricatured, awful performance maybe in history. Was it Japanese? I was thinking it was Korean for some reason. Japanese. <clears throat> and, okay. and it's just awful. It, it, this is miles. Horrible. Yeah, it is. And this is miles removed from that. You know, he's only putting on that little accent because that's what people expected of him. And it's Tony Randall, so he's, he actually plays <clears throat> seven roles, because hello, seven faces. So 
back to the actual plot. So the circus comes up, and it's a very odd circus because there are only a few acts in it. Tony Randall plays all of them. He, <laughs> he plays Merlin the Magician, as in Merlin, who is just kind of an old, doddering guy who's kind of sad because he's forgotten uh, all of his skills. He plays Medusa, as in the Medusa with the snaky hair. He plays Apollonius, who is a blind seer, which is an amazingly deep scene where this one of the townspeople who she's just kind of flighty and kind of a braggart and not all that wonderful a person. And she comes in and she's, Oh, I just must have my fortune told. So he tells her a fortune and her fortune is nothing will ever change. Today will be like tomorrow will be like today. Yesterday was the same as the day before. Nothing will ever change in your life. You'll be gone. When you're gone, you will be forgotten. No one will remember your name. It's like the most brutal, awful, dark <laughs> fortune possible. And she just breaks into tears. And he's like, well, that's my curse. I have to tell the truth. <laughs> it's like, holy crap. Wow. Yeah. So there are some really dark moments in this film. And yet it's definitely a kid's movie. But, you know, speaking as to... Uh, attacking vapid people and and racism and greed because that's really the theme because everyone is all ready to go ahead and pay <clears throat> the scumbag Arthur O'Connell character Clint Stark and move out of town and the final act of the circus is something of an allegory about what greed can do to people I'll just leave it at that um it's a really, really good film. Again, uh, it's not rated because 1963. If it was made today, I mean, exactly. If it was released today, let me put it that way, it'd probably be PG. Um, there are callbacks to other films, like there's a callback to Shane because there's a young kid who kind of attaches himself to the stranger. Uh, insert Dr. Lowe for Shane. And the little kid chases after Dr. Lowe, in this case, when Dr. Lowe leaves because his mission is accomplished. Um there are a lot of really interesting little subplots in here, especially involving Barbara Eden and how she's just kind of, she's, she's a widow and she's just kind of locked herself away from life. And Dr. Lowe kind of helps her realize, Oh, maybe you should realize you should join the human race again through, through the uh, agency of Pan, who is another of the characters that Dr. Lowe plays Pan, like the half man, half goat dude. Yeah. This movie, the only thing I've been able to find from the box office, this movie, is I, and it can't be accurate, uh, is $1.25 million. That's not $125, that's $1.25 million. Although I did find a note that that was based on the distributor's take. Now I can't remember, I think it was the distributor's take. So from what I'm able to figure out, maybe it made $3 million, which is still nothing. I mean, even in 1963, that is absolutely nothing. Uh, Mary Poppins was the number one box office movie that year, made $102 million. Uh, From Russia with Love was number five, made $25 million, which, and that was a big hit. So even if it made $3 million, this was a box office bomb. There's no way around it. And this was an MGM release, so it's not like it didn't have any backing, just didn't find the audience at all. It's a great story. It's actually based on a book, The Circus of Dr. Lowe, which is even darker. <laughs> it's a prime candidate for a remake because the special effects for 1963 are actually pretty good. 
because there is also a sea serpent, which is lovely. But the plot is just so good. And again, and I was talking about this with my daughter and said, you know, be Stephen Chow should totally make this movie because he has, he definitely has the comedic chops and he definitely knows how to make a fantasy. He would be fantastic. And of course he could play the title role. Uh, but please, please, please make this movie. Uh, or Chow Yun-Fat would be amazing. So yes, they can make this movie now and they could make it with, an Asian actor, so we no one is going to scream about they're doing yellow face again, which they weren't at the time. But regardless, until they remake this movie, and odds are it won't be as good, you absolutely should watch The Seven Faces of Dr. Lowe. And you may look at it and say that's Dr. Lau, and that's okay, because half the people in the movie did. Which is fine. That's how, <clears throat> that's how I would have looked at it, because of the spelling. But, I've always referred to it as Dr. Lau, but Dr. Lowe says Dr. Lowe. <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> how, many, how many years did people mispronounce Eddie Azard's last name? That's true. I always called him Gizzard. See? And that's wrong. Yeah, it is wrong. I think we should go to next year. Okay. So, 1964 had another fantasy film, which was also good for the kids but also, also also had a lot of information for adults. This is by an uh, actor who a lot of times gets kind of short shrift in, in the U.S. He's beloved in France, and by this time you probably know I'm talking about Jerry Lewis. Yep. Um, and he gets short shrift to critics for good reason, because he made, he made several movies that aren't very good. Um, he specialized in really goofy, over-the-top stuff like The Bellboy, uh, The Ladies' Man, stuff like that, which is, I mean, they're fun movies. That's, and that's all he ever was trying to do with those movies. Well, he was trying to do more with this movie. It's called The Nutty Professor. And yes, this has been remade. And the remake is okay, but the remake absolutely doesn't hold a candle or three candles or any candles at all to the original. So I'm sure if you've seen The Nutty Professor, and most people who are listening, I'm sure have seen the, the Eddie Murphy vehicle, you have a college professor who's kind of a schleb. In this case, it's, this is the, the, the iconic thing of, of, a, of a, the Nutty Professor, because he's wearing his lab coat, and he's got the weird glasses. Hey! And he's got the screwed up teeth, which I actually have a pair of screwed up teeth for Halloween, uh, more than my own. Um, <laughs> and he's just a total nerd. And he talks in a really nasal. Well, I don't really know. I actually, I think I'll do the review <laughs> as Julius Krebs. So he plays Julius. And he is just like the ultimate nerd. He can't get out of his own way to save his life. Uh, it, it opens with an explosion in the lab. And it's a great sight gag because the secretary runs to find out what's happened and all the kids are streaming out of the lab and then there's smoke pouring out and everywhere and the, the door just blew in somehow because whatever. So the door blew out, the door blew in. And she's looking around and she's calling him. She's calling him, can't find him anywhere. And then she hears this moan. She goes, Dr. Kelp, Professor Kelp, Professor Kelp. She hears this moan and she moves off the door and she opens the door, and Jerry Lewis is embedded in the floor underneath the door. <laughs> Very Looney Tunes. Extremely Looney Tunes. 
And she says, oh, yeah, the dean wants to see you. He goes to the dean's office, and he's still all covered. And he takes off his lab coat, but he's still all covered with smoke and soot and that kind of crap. And it's a wonderful scene. And this proves that Lewis is, <laughs> was, I should say, a comic genius, because I timed this. So this is three minutes and 50 seconds into the film. He enters the, he enters the dean's office. He doesn't say a word. The dean doesn't say a word. He looks kind of sheepishly at the dean. Dean's just scowling at him because the dean knows he's blown up his lab. So he kind of walks in kind of slowly and gingerly. The dean points to a chair. Lewis sits in the chair, and he sinks down in the chair like two feet into the chair. Two chairs, they look identical, but he sinks down. So he, you can see about two feet of him. I mean, he's like up to his chest. He's sitting in this normal chair, apparently. And he kind of licks his lips and looks at the dean, looks away. The dean's just scowling at him. And he then he gets up. Professor Kelp gets up, takes like a ledger off the dean's desk, sits it on the chair, sets it on the chair, and then sits down and sits normally because he put like a little book in it, and it raises him up like two feet for for no reason whatsoever. And the professor just continues to scowl at him, and then finally, finally. He says, he just yells, Professor Kelp. It's, that goes on until five minutes and 21 seconds. So, so you, you have this minute and a half of just silent burn, and it's absolutely freaking brilliant. And now most of the stuff is just over-the-top craziness because it's Jerry Lewis. And he's attracted to one of his students, which is mm, a no-no, but again, this is 1964. Uh, and when this was made, because I checked, uh, Jerry Lewis was 37, so he's in his mid-30s in the film. And yes, there, she's a college student. Uh, one of the problems with the film is a, a classic faux pas of films, especially in the 60s. Uh, they, they wouldn't cast people who were of student age. Like Stella Stevens, is, she's the, the, uh, the babe of the film. She was 25 when she made the film, and she's supposed to be a college student. She is by far the youngest looking college student there. I think a half the people there were probably in their 30s. It's like, for God's sakes, they don't even have to act. They just have to sit in a room and they couldn't even cast people who look like they're in college. But so he's infatuated with her, not like over the top creepy, but, you know, because she appears to be kind of interested in him. And he's, but he's a total horrific nerd. So he tries to figure out what he's going to do. And he thinks, ah, I'm going to build muscles. I'm going to be a muscle man, like, like old Charles, Charles Atlas thing. So there's a series of sight gags of him going to a gym, <laughs> which, which does him no good. Uh, one of the best sequences, is, and this is not the best part of the film by any means, but one of the best sequences, he takes a barbell. Guy's holding a barbell, and he's talking to him the whole time while the guy's trying to hold it up. So the guy says, here, you try it. And he grabs it, and of course he drops it immediately. Except he doesn't let go of it, and his hands are down at his feet. It stretched his arms so that his hands are down at his feet. <clears throat> Speaking of good special effects, that's a really good special effect. And the next scene is he's in bed under the covers, and he reaches down and scratches his foot with his hand because his hands are still down by his feet, <laughs> which, is, which is insane. So that's more the typical Jerry Lewis crap. Anyway, he finally decides, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to make myself a cool person. So he concocts the formula. This again, based on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, one of the best versions of, of that story ever made. 
And instead of turning into a monster, and this is the brilliance of Jerry Lewis, and this is the brilliance of the film, he turns into a cool, debonair, suave person. So he flipped the script. Instead of being the good Dr. Jekyll and turning into the evil Dr. Hyde, he turns into the amazing, suave ladies' man who calls himself Buddy Love. But the real brilliance is, is Buddy Love is not a nice person. So he actually is a monster after all. And not exactly given the plot away. You'll figure that out like as soon as you hear him talk. Uh, but he, And it's very much Jerry Lewis playing Jerry Lewis. Kind of like how wrestlers play themselves, but they just amp up a certain aspect of their personality. That's what Jerry Lewis is doing with Buddy Love. Because Jerry Lewis was not a goofball. He'd like to play a goofball. But he was a good-looking dude when he didn't have weird teeth in his head and when he wore his hair like a normal person would hair would wear it. <laughs> and, and he's this very suave, really he's too suave. Uh, Cause he's, a, he's a real prick as it turns <laughs> out as buddy love, but he's insanely popular. And so he's winning the girl over, but unfortunately at times the, uh, <laughs> the formula will wear off. Like in the middle of singing a song, he sings that old black magic and he does a pretty good job. So he's singing that old black magic and in the middle of it, he goes, oh, black. He does back to the really nasally voice and then he runs off. So it's him fighting to stay as Buddy Love and that issue and the fact that Stella, when her name is Stella in the film, is attracted to Buddy Love, but also hates him because he's a heel, but she can't help being attracted. So it's how that whole situation plays out. And I won't give away the ending. Um, here's the thing. The, the difference between this and the, the Nutty Professor remake is it was clear that Buddy Love was a horrible person. He was very attractive, but it was clear that he was still the real monster. And I didn't really see that in, in the remake of the Nutty Professor at all. Uh, the one with uh, Mr. Murphy. So... And it has been remade. Jerry Lewis even did a musical theater version of this uh, not too long before he passed on. He didn't play Kelp in it, but he was producing it. I think that was like the eight years ago. And I look at my watch to tell the time as if I had a calendar on it like that. I don't know why I do that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was 1918. Okay, good. Highly recommend, highly recommend the original Naughty Professor. I think it's, and I like the remake, at least the first one with Eddie Murphy. But this movie's ten times better. At wow. least, actually, did pretty well at the box office. In, in today's dollars, it would be a hundred and sixty million dollar box office, which isn't huge, but it's also not bad. Considering the budget, they probably yeah. Considering the budget wasn't gigantic, and the fact that Jerry Lewis co-wrote it and directed it and starred, uh, absolutely by far his best film. Has a lot of heart to it. Actually, has a message, unlike most of his films. All movies do not mean messages, not saying that, but this one does. Absolutely recommend The Nutty Professor, 1964 version. My films don't have messages. <laughs> oh, dear. Mine usually don't either. Moving up a bit to 1982. <clears throat> what? Now, now this, this movie is actually kind of kind of personal to me because it was the first R-rated movie I ever saw in a theater. <gasps> and 
and it it had blood, it had sex, it had violence. <gasps> um, granted, one of the sex scenes was with that sports reporter guy from Murphy Brown, so that kind of takes it down a little bit. That takes it down a lot. But the movie was called The Sword and the Sorcerer, which at the time, being heavily into to Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, I thought... Right. You know, this would be a good thing. And the movie itself has the makings of a good Dungeons and Dragons type fantasy adventure movie. Except there are no orcs or other monsters and stuff. Hmm. But there are swords and bows and arrows and political intrigue between kingdoms and betrayals and revenge and fanfare whenever our hero enters a room. And a sailor who's actually named Captain Morgan. Uh, there's magic <laughs> and sorcery and a witch doctor and misogyny. It's everything you could possibly want in a movie like this. Yes, I did say misogyny. Um, it's a lot like an Indiana Jones movie, only even longer ago. But that's the movie. And I wanted to actually talk to you a little bit about the movie poster, because we don't talk about the movie posters much. No, we don't. And uh, this particular movie poster might be the worst in the history of movies. (laughs) On this poster, there are five characters shown. Now, in the top middle, there's a picture of the sorcerer, who at the beginning of the movie is raised from the dead, and he's a bit reptilian, and he's played by Richard Maul, who was bull on Night Court. And he actually looks... Creepy. He looks fine. <laughs> he looks fine. He looks the way he did in the movie. To his left is the evil king, played by Richard Lynch. Again, a character <clears throat> actor. And right. If you don't know the name, you know you know him. He's a good uh, actor. He the colonels who chased the A team for a while. He's been on <clears throat> Star Trek. He's someone you would recognize. Yes. Except in this poster, because I don't know who the hell that guy is. <laughs> <laughs> to the right of the sorcerer is the guy who I'm pretty sure was supposed to be the king's advisor. I think, except in this poster, again, Star Trek, he looks like Mr. Spock. Again, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not sure why. Uh, at the bottom of the poster is our damsel in distress, who kind of looks vaguely reminiscent of the damsel. Uh, she's wrapped in a boa constrictor, not a feather boa, a boa constrictor, but that's okay, that's in the movie. I'm just wondering why half of her face is literally black. I don't know why. I mean, that, that, that's a very intense shadow you have on your left side, my dear. Um, but right above her, the main part of the poster is our hero, Talon, who you can recognize from the store, from, from his sword because it's, it's a distinctive sword. Uh, it's got three blades to it, kind of like a, you know, your razor does now. But, you know, the, the, the three, thing about the three-bladed sword... Well, there's three things about it. One, it looks horrifically impractical. Two, yes. it looks really cheap. But <laughs> three, it also looks so cool that one and two don't matter. So there <laughs> the sword is the only reason I know that this is our main character, Talon, in the poster. By the way, it's not Talon from the Court of Owls. That's a different thing. Yeah, I was going to say, that's Talon. a cool character. Yeah, he, he's played by Lee Horsley. Ew, uh, Jesus who was on the love boat. He was in several Westerns and somehow nominated for a Saturn award for best actor for this movie, which I don't get. But if you don't know who he is, he looks kind of like Burt Reynolds only with a five o'clock shadow instead of just the mustache, except in this poster where he looks like Mowgli from the jungle book. (laughs) I, 
how that switch happened, I'm, I'm lost on. Now, the, the movie... Uh, the movie was not spectacular, but you know what? It was fun. Uh, if you're quarantining and need an hour and a half to kill, I'm going to recommend it. I mean, yeah, there were parts of it that were slow, and it deserves a lot better movie poster than what it got. Um, incidentally, I think this should spawn a contest. Anyone who can rewrite this movie as close as possible to the poster in that Mowgli is your main character wins... I'm not sure what we'll give you as a prize yet, but anyway. Mm. The movie was... <clears throat> but it ends with something that a lot of movies used to end with. Uh, it had a big screen that said, Watch for Talon's next adventure in The Tales of the Ancient Empire. Coming soon. <laughs> and now this came out in 1982, in the days long before the internet. But we have the internet now, and I had forgotten about that part of the movie. So I got on the internet and I said, I wonder if they, whatever happened to that sequel. Because coming soon. Someone got smart? Well, it, it could, it could have used a sequel. It has <coughs> to it. And like I said, Indiana Jones, if Indiana Jones is coming up on his fifth sequel, yes, they're, they're making it. Yes. Um, but whatever happened to the tales of the ancient empire? Because it did not come very soon after 1982. <laughs> it came in 2010. I did not realize it had this sequel. So I tracked this movie down, even though it stars Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> <clears throat> and he's not playing who you think he's playing. Now, this movie... This movie has issues. Is he playing Richard Mall? That'd be cool. No... No, no, let me, let, let me explain. The, the, this movie uh, is broken up into 20-something tales, because it's Tales of the Ancient Empire. Tale number one, da -da, whatever. <laughs> e each of these three-minute-ish movies, which are your tales, these were made for bargain bin DVDs. That, that's all it was. They just shoved Ooh. them all together. Um, tale number one, for example, is set in a cave where we have some adventurers come in, okay, and there's like a casket or a chest in the middle of the... I don't even know who you guys are. Why do I care about this treasure? But then there's a special <laughs> effect that's hard to see because it's filmed not in black and white, but black and very dark blue. So this is very early DC. <laughs> Special effect ends up being a woman. No way. She's a sorceress. No way. She's a vampire. All right. Maybe. Kind of. And she kills all but one of the men. And she has a conversation with him. I think. It might be to further the plot. I can't tell. Because I can't hear any of it. Because there's a heavy metal soundtrack that is kicked in entirely too loud. I see voice, lips moving. And I hear da 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 Which doesn't make any sense for a conversation. But there we go. Uh, the takeaway from this scene, apparently, is that Vampire Girl is back. Well, yeah, we kind of got that from the visual. I'm sure there's details. I couldn't hear them. So let's talk about scene two for just a minute. Where there's a queen, okay, and her sister, all right, and they argue over who the sister's father is. Here's a hint. It's Talon. Hmm. Sister father. Whatever. And they both must escape because the sorceress from scene one, I thought she was a vampire, 
Hmm. Uh, she's already in the palace and taking over everything. So some guards lead them down a green-screened passage that is lined with draperies. Okay? And they get to one set of them, and they pull the draperies back. And they, the guards stare down what I see as being a dark passage. Except a third guard comes over, steps between the two guards, opens a door, and now there's a green screen escape passage. So I'm wondering, what the hell were the two guards staring? They're staring at a black wall. Why? There's, there's, look down the other hall. Something might be coming. No, we're going to stare at this black spot for a while. Intensely. It doesn't yeah. get any better than this in this movie. It really doesn't. There's crap CG. Uh, the background music, which is usually metal, is so much louder than any dialogue, uh, which might, you know, explain the broken plot of this movie. Uh, some of the scenes seem to drag on for an eternity. Meanwhile, the credits at the beginning of the movie that might tell you any of the background stuff, where they flash cards on the screen that tell you, long ago there was a, and that's as far as I got before it was off the screen. <laughs> what the hell? Sh slow down a little bit. Just because it's metal doesn't mean you have to go that fast. Um, there's a thing where several characters, she's coming, run! And whoever they're telling to, run, meanders. At best, off screen. Just gonna, oh, oh, I think I'll go that way. With absolutely nothing resembling speed. Um, there is some lesbian vampire porn. Ooh. Because what would this movie be without it? Uh, at one point, the sorceress, and I haven't figured this out, turns into Brachus from Mortal Kombat 2. Lovely. I don't know why. Um, oh, did I mention that Talon doesn't show up in this movie, really? Uh, th there's this scene where, oh, I'm having a precognition of something that's going to happen in the future. And there's a shadowy Talon in the distance, and you can tell because he's still got the sword. Um, but that's it. The, the best part of this movie, I, I have to tell you, is that it's only 122 minutes long, and 15 minutes of those are credits at the end. Wow. Um, you know how some movies are so good that you forget to do something, though? Like uh, like the Avengers Endgame fight scene. <clears throat> mm -hmm. You could be in the theater when that scene kicks in, and you would think, damn, I should have gotten some more popcorn, or I, I needed to pee before this scene, but I can't leave now. Well, in this movie, I had no problem going for snacks or a bathroom break at any point. Um, Good I only paused it because I knew I was reviewing it for this show. <laughs> uh, the, the only spoiler I'll give you about the second one is that Kevin Sorbo finally shows up about 40 minutes in. And he's Talon's son. And apparently all the other characters are Talon's or, uh, or, or this guy, Kevin Sorbo's sister's. Of which he has like 12, because Talon got busy repeatedly. Hey. Um, and this might go to Kevin Sorbo, this might go to the script. Kevin Sorbo started, it turns out that the princess that escaped by meandering out of the cave that was green screened, mm -hmm. uh, she's one of the sisters. Kevin Sorbo hits on her anyway. She Yay. says, But I'm your sister. He says, Yeah, only half. Wow. Okay, so speaking of half, <laughs> right, when I say this is the first half of the movie that I've talked about, it's because 
at the 120-something minute mark, it stops. <laughs> the story isn't over yet. There's another sequel, Tales of the Ancient Empire, Red Moon. I tried Ooh. finding it, but I got nothing. It doesn't exist, thank God. So if you want to watch part one of this, and I don't know why you would, it's on YouTube. You can buy it for $3.99, or if you look around a little bit, it's there. Um, <laughs> as for Tales of the Ancient, you know, Tales of the Ancient Empire, I looked. I said, "There's got to be, you know, a hint about the other half of this movie." So I looked it up on IMDb. Mm-hmm. Oh dear, it re- it had one review on it, one out of ten stars, and that was for the soundtrack because this person liked heavy metal music. Oh, okay. Um, now, one thing that I was amused by was that it did have something listed under the Frequently Asked Questions section. And the Frequently Asked Question for this movie was, why? <laughs> That's lovely. I have never seen a burn bigger than that. And this movie, my God, it asked for it. That's that's really good. I am actually going to recommend The Sword and the Sorcerer, the first one, because it was actually kind of fun. The special effects were hokey. The plot was a bit weird, but it was fun. The second one, I'm going to issue a uh, a warning. Uh, it should be rated no. <laughs> just, just don't. Rated no for trash. R- rated no for why did you make this? That's so sad. Wow. So that would appear to be the end of the show. Uh, I guess it would be. (laughs) Wow. So anyway, the outside world, as we all know, it's still not safe to traverse without protection. So stay home and watch a movie. Captain, we're losing power in the warp engines. I think we should be leaving now. I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. Uh, and on that unusually harmonious bombshell, it is time to end. I am very disappointed. Man, we have a weird job. It's shameful, but uh, eh, it's a living. And like that, he's gone. Holy crimson skies of death!